Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. If you want to go ahead and get your Bible, I know you just sat down, but I welcome everyone to stand back up, get your stretch and calisthenic in this morning. Then you guys can sit and I can do all the standing. But if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And before we get any further, I again, I want to take a time to give honor where it's due. I give honor to our pastor and first lady. Um, Brother and Sister Staten, I thank them for being such awesome leaders, but also for allowing me to uh, stand before you guys and teach this morning. I never take it lightly. I know we, everybody says it, but it's true. Just to be able to stand in this office is an honor. So Hebrews chapter 11, if you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, well, time is up. It's on the screen. All right. Popular passage of scripture says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he also had a testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. Would you lift a hand this morning as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for, God, your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're going to do in this house. Lord, right now, God, we want to open up our hearts and minds, God, to receive from you. We want to open up our hearts and minds, God, to let your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord. Whatever you want to do in this house, God, would you do it? God, and we're ready, Lord God, and willing to receive, God, and not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray, you may be seated. Smile at someone as you're seated. Tell them they look nice. They look nice. I do want to tell my wife she looks nice today. You look nice, baby. I love you. I didn't do anything, Sister Angelita. I, I didn't do anything. Sometimes you don't have to do anything at all. To, you don't have to do anything. You just, you just got to, to be there and honor your wife. The Bible says it's Christ, loveth the church. That's what you got to do. But if you haven't noticed as we get into this morning, or maybe you're just coming out of hibernation, this is the first Sunday in March. Somebody say March. It's hard to believe we're almost a quarter through the year. Just scary to think about how fast 
time is flying. Like, literally, we are almost a third through a quarter, I'm sorry, a, a fourth, I guess, through the year. And so now that we're in a new month, if you've been paying attention to our Sunday school time, we're going to talk about a new theme. And that will be the focus for this month. And this month's theme is on faith and obedience to God. In many ways, how many know faith and obedience, they go hand in hand, especially in our walk with God. And, and just as much as they go hand in hand, the inverse of that, the other side of the coin of that, is that many times disobedience, which is the opposite of obedience, is often due, when we talk about our relationship with God, is due to our lack of faith or simply not having faith at all. We're ignorant to what the word says, or we just don't believe that what it says is true, so we, we disobey it. And this relationship between faith and obedience, if I'm being honest, it plays a major role in how not only we view God, but how we treat God and how we treat his kingdom. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit this morning, hopefully. And so as we start off on the theme of this month, I'd like to teach on this, and that is Lessons from the Heroes of Faith. Lessons from the Heroes of Faith. I thought about other titles like Living by Faith or Just Faith. But as we're going to discuss this morning, as God kind of, as I was studying, sort of shifted a little bit, as Pastor was saying earlier, he shifted the, 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 the way this lesson's going to go. And so we're going to talk about lessons from the Heroes of Faith. And so before we start, who would raise their hand and say that you would help me this morning? Anybody? Do I have a little bit? Cool. All right, Brother Scott, Brother Christian, and then I'm going to get one from this side, Brother DeTemple. All right. So before you guys understand what you're signing up for, I need each of you to answer a question. All right? If you would, go ahead and stand up for me. I'm going to put you all on the spots. All right? This is scary, Sister Valerie says. It really is. But, but it's not, um, look, this is not a judgment zone. This is not uh, anything. Your answer to my question is, is truly just, I'm just trying to get a gauge of the room this morning, all right? So here's my question, Brother DeTemple, we'll start with you. What is faith? Believing without seeing. That's a great answer. Thank you. Thank you. Anything you want to add or just right there? All right, he's good. <laughs> Believing without seeing. That's good. Brother Christian, what you got for me? What is faith? Strong trust, a strong belief. It's a good answer. All right, thank you, brother, brother, brother uh, Christian, brother S Scott. What is faith? <laughs> okay, yeah, trusting that God is there for you through whatever. How many would would say that's a great answer? Right, everybody, give them a round of applause. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, guys, for, for helping me out. So I start that to be interactive a little bit. And again, I want to just gauge the understanding of the room. And we're not here to judge. We're not here to do anything. And, and really, as we go through this, I just want to show you guys what God revealed to me. This is faith within 
Scripture. And so the, the theme is faith, and it's, it's one syllable. It's a simple word that we can say. But even as I've asked this question to three different gentlemen, the answer sometimes holds many different nuances. Brother, Brother the Temple said it's believing without seeing. Brother Christian said it's a, a strong uh, belief, right, a strong trust. Or you said it was trusting that God will basically come through, right, on what he said he would. And, and those are all great, great answers. I'm not knocking any of those answers. But I want us to, to, to kind of un, unravel this mystery of faith. And so for us English speakers, the word faith is derived from a Latin word which means fides, F-I-D-E-S, fides. This is where we get words like confidant or confiding or to confide. This is where we get that type of word. And so in many cases, with all of you guys' answers, really, this is where we get a correlation between faith and trust. Confiding in someone is trusting that 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 person would keep your counsel, trusting that they won't say, you know, what, what you've told them, trusting that they will keep their word to you. And so we can equate faithfulness many times with trustworthiness or dependability. And certainly to have faith in God means that at some level we must trust God. In fact, Scripture kind of adds some weight to this understanding we know these verses, Proverbs 3 and 5 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thy own understanding. Jeremiah 17 and 17 says, blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says that he will keep us in perfect peace if we keep our minds stayed on thee because Right? We're supposed to trust in God. Trust ye in the Lord forever, the next verse says, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. But let me ask this question as we start out on this road of trust. Is that all faith is about, just trust? I, no, that's a, that's, that's a great answer. We're going we're gonna to unravel that. But I believe trust is kind of the entrance into what faith is, but it's not just what all faith is about. It's, it, it goes beyond trust, and we'll see that. We started in Hebrews chapter 11, and if you look in verse 1 where we start, it says, now faith, right, is the substance. This word faith that we see here in, in Hebrews 11 and 1 is the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis is this word, faith in the Greek. And this word echoes what we've already seen from the Latin word, fides, that this word pistis means belief with the predominant idea of trusting in God, trusting in Jesus Christ. Further helping us understand faith that there is a trust component to faith. Simply put, if you don't trust God, you cannot claim at any level to have faith in God. There's a whole lot of people in this world that say, oh, I have faith in God, but they don't trust him. They don't trust what his word says. They don't trust that despite what they're going through, right, that God is working together for their good. They, 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 it's hard to get beyond the trust level. 
And so how can you claim to have faith in God if you don't, at a simple level, have trust in him? And so, again, Hebrews 11 and 1, we're going to kind of dig into this verse, but says, Now faith is the substance of things that we hope for, the evidence of things not seen. How many have ever used that? Somebody said, well, what is faith? You just quote scripture. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. But what does that mean? Have you ever tried to think, what, what in the world does that mean? Why can't the Bible be simpler in its approach to explaining what faith means? Why can't this author in Hebrews give us a simple, tidy summary of faith? And so as I look at this verse, there are two uh, words that stand out to me. The first is substance, and the second word is evidence. What does this writer mean by substance of things that we hope for? When I think about a substance, even as I was studying, I was like, well, is this some type of liquid or, or some type of, you know, Play-Doh that holds everything together, holds the hope that we have together? That's kind of a picture I get when someone says this is a substance. And then what in the world type of evidence is he describing here? Evidence of things we can't see. And so we're going to, again, dig into this. But let's start with the first one, substance. Substance in the Greek is the word hypostasis. That's a very interesting word, hypostasis. It's spelled funny, too, H-Y-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. Hypostasis, not hypostasis, but hypostasis, all right? So this word, substance, hypostasis, a very interesting translation of this word. This word means steadfastness of mind. It means a firm trust, not just trust, but a firm trust. It means having an assurance of what you're hoping for. And the, the best translation of this word is the one that I like. It means confidence. How many have ever lacked confidence, right? When you lack confidence, how do you do what you do, right? If I were to stand, and many of you guys have probably been in my position, when you stand in front of someone publicly speaking, if you're not confident, right, what do we do? We start stuttering. We start, you know, getting jittery. We start, and I do that all the time. I'm over here fidgeting and, and working because I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable when I get up here. But when we're not confident, it displays in our actions. And what the Bible is saying here is that when we talk about faith, faith is the confidence of what we're hoping for. So if you are not confident in what you're hoping for, then your faith is going to be lackluster. Your faith is going to diminish if you're not assured of what God is saying to you. You're not assured that the thing that we put our hope in is going to come to pass. Then many cases our faith is going to be at a lower level. That is this word substance of the things that we hope for. The next word is evidence. This evidence is in the Greek. It's called elakos. Very weird. E-L-E-G-C-H-O-S. Elakos. And this word evidence is translated to mean reproof. Or if you can imagine with evidence of something, it's proof that something took place. The evidence is the proof that someone did a crime, right? When, when there's a crime that takes place, I know Brother Mitchell isn't here, but when, when there's, the police are investigating a crime, they follow the evidence because the evidence 
is the proof that something took place. But the better translation for this word evidence is the word conviction. And so when we talk about faith, now faith is the substance of things we hope for. It's the conviction we have of things we can't even see. How many know if you're convicted of something, it shows in how we act, right? If you're convicted that the color blue is an ugly color, you won't have blue show up in your wardrobe, many cases. I know that's a very weird uh, kind of example I'm giving you. But if you are convicted that greens aren't good for you, then you won't eat greens, whether it tastes good or whatever. You're convicted of that, then you're not going to do that. Many of us in our walk with God, there are some things that God begins to convict us of. We don't do those things because we're convicted of them. Conviction is a good thing, if you don't know. Condemnation is a bad thing, right? The Bible says there is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But conviction is the power and the work of God in our life. And so with these two understandings of this word substance and evidence, if you read Hebrews 1 and 11, and if you try to read it in other translations, you kind of get a little more understanding of what faith is. The English Standard Version says, Now faith is the assurance of things that we hope for, the conviction of things not seen. Other translations say to have faith is to be sure of the things that we're hoping for, to be certain of things that we can't see. And IV says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we can't see. And the Living Bible says it this way, and I, and I like this, this uh, translation. It says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want in God is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we're hoping for in God is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it ahead of us. So Hebrews chapter 11 and 1 gives us this comprehensive understanding and viewpoint of faith. And if I were to add, or in the Bible says we shouldn't add things to the word, but, but if I were to explain it a little bit further, I would tell you that understanding that faith is substance of things we're hoping for and evidence of things that we can't see, I would tell you that faith requires action. The starting point of faith is God. That's where faith begins, it's a fundamental understanding that God exists. And, and it's the certainty that God is all-powerful and so is God's word. As verse 3 explains in Hebrews chapter 11, the universe is not an accident. When God began to form the world, he didn't do it by accident. Faith tells us and faith knows that God spoke it into being from nothingness. Faith tells us and and faith, the action of faith, the, the confidence of faith knows that it's only by the power of God's word that creation took place. Faith knows that the word of God is alive. The word is not dead. Faith accomplishes everything that it purposes. Or I should say God accomplishes everything that he purposes. Faith in action is trusting God to do what is best, even if it's not what we want. Right. Faith believes that God is a faithful God to take it a step further. It believes that God is faithful all the time. How many 
sometimes struggle with understanding if God has been faithful to me when we're in a storm, when we're in pain, when we're in sorrow. But trust me, God is just as faithful then as he is when you're standing on the mountaintop and when everything is going great in your life. God's faithfulness is part of his nature. It cannot change. But we would only have a type of actionable faith if we really believed that. Faith knows that God is faithful. And again, the culmination of faith is really action. And it shows up in our choices and our decisions. The end goal of faith is through action. It is to put us in a place of alignment with God and alignment to the word of God. Right? Remember earlier I said there's a a correlation between faith and obedience. Faith is meant to put us in alignment and obedience to the word of God. If we're not in alignment, again, it shows up in our actions, right? Our actions when we have faith are prayer. Our actions are worship. Our actions are witnessing to someone else, telling them about the goodness of God. Our action is saying no to sin even when we want to do that thing. Our action is sometimes just trusting, believing, or even waiting can be an action of faith. How many find it hard to wait for things to take place? Anybody? We get impatient, right? We try to speed things along. We try to move it at our own pace. We're going to talk about this a little bit later if I have time. But even waiting sometimes is an action of faith. Before I move on from this particular point, I would like to also address what faith is not. Faith is not just wishful thinking. Faith is not just a pie in the sky. I believe, you know, God can, can do X, Y, Z, but that's, that's, not, that's not faith. It's not just wishful thinking. Faith is not just having a positive outlook on life. You can go to a doctor and a doctor can tell you you need to do this, that, and the other. And that's not really faith. That, that is just kind of trying to think positive through something. But faith is always found, founded in God. Faith is not just a leap that we do to try to get things done. Faith is not an irrational frame of mind. Faith isn't even really tied to our emotions. Sometimes we get emotional in faith. We cry and weep and and, and those are good things to do. But again, faith isn't really based upon an emotion. It can evoke emotion from us. But faith is, again, the substance. It's the confidence That what God says he's going to do is what will happen. It's an action based on trust and belief in God alone. This world we know secures hope in things that they can see, such as a person, a place, or they put their hope in money. They put their hope in material things. But me and you, Christians, we, we, we shouldn't place our hope in things that we can see. The Bible says we're supposed to put it in things that we can't see. We cannot see God. God is a spirit, right? I wish I could say that I would see an angel of God standing in front of me. That's not my testimony. Maybe some of you guys have that. It's not mine. But what I can see is the evidence of the work of God all around me. 
I can see it in creation when I look at a flower blooming. I can see it every morning when the sun rises from the day God said, let there be light. And, and God put the stars and the moon and everything in place. I can see God in creation. I can see God in the trees that we have around us. I can see God really most often in the lives that he changes. I can see God when God begins to work in someone's life. I can see God. That's how we view him. And the good thing is that God doesn't force faith upon unwilling people. How many know God isn't going to force you to trust him? God isn't going to force you to obey what's in his word. He's, that's not the type of God we serve. We, we say all the time that God is a respecter of persons. And I don't know if we really understand that oftentimes, but it remain, that means that he respects our choice. He respects the decision that we make, whether it's for him or against him. God isn't going to force you to trust him. You have to be convinced. You have to be convicted in order to put your hope and trust in him. And that's faith. What God does is he presents his expectation and he shows us the promises that are in his word. And then he gives us the freedom to choose whether we want to have those promises or not. And so how do we get faith? Anybody know how do we get faith? If I were to ask you guys, how can I obtain faith? If it's your first time stepping into a church, first time hearing about Jesus Christ, how do we obtain faith? Romans 10 and 37 gives us the answer that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Somebody has to tell you about God. You've got to open up the Bible and see God for yourself. You've got to come to an altar and experience God for yourself. You can't live off of someone else's faith. Now, someone else's faith can be an encouragement to you. It can build faith in you, but you've got to have your own level of faith. You can't get faith by just stealing someone else's. That's not how it works. But you must hear the word of God for yourself. And the Bible over and over tells us that we can't just be hearers of the word, but we must become doers of the word. We must hear and we must act. We must hear and we must believe. We must hear and we must trust. We must hear and then we become confident and assured over and over about what we're hearing. To such a degree that our faith becomes what we're convicted of. Our faith gets to the point that we're convicted of what we're hearing about God. We're sure of what God is saying to us. That's when faith begins to work in us. It goes from being an inward thing to becoming an outward expression of faith because now faith begins to influence our actions. That's when we wait when we're in the storm. That's when we trust God when just around the corner, all we see is darkness, right? That, that, that's where we begin to apply faith in action. <clears throat> it's hard to believe that faith, such a small word, but faith has the ability to change the trajectory of every life. The power of faith starts always, always starts in God. Amen? So let's look back <clears throat> at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to kind of make a little transition here. And this is where God began to shift where I was going in this, in this lesson. But many of you probably know this already, but to many Bible scholars and experts, 
Chapter 11 of Hebrews is known as the Faith Hall of Fame, or simply put, the Hall of Faith. But unlike modern-day halls of faith, to gain interest into this prestigious chapter of the Bible, it's not relying upon the outward achievements that these individuals did, but it was an inner resolution to believe the Word of God and believe the promises of God in the face of trials and adversity. We read the definitions of faith earlier, but it says in verse 1, Now faith, again, is the substance of things that we hope for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. And so these kind of foundational definitions of faith in this chapter, they're backed up by faithful actions of characters throughout the centuries of Bible history. Each person in this list acted with true faith, and as a result, God approved them. He accepted them as his own, and he saved a place for them in eternity where they can have communion with him. The faith-filled actions of these people range from simple words that they spoke to the giving of their very lives. This shows us that faith, if we're to have the type of faith that the Bible says we're supposed to have, then that faith is supposed to impact every area of our life. Every act that we do of faith holds weight with God. If you don't think your faith is important, I'm here to tell you it is very, very, very important to God. God sees every decision you make, and it's weighed, and it has importance in his kingdom. We're meant to live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. I think I heard it recently. It might have been even you, Brother Wilson, that preached it. But the enemy of faith is sight. I don't know if you were the one that preached it or not. But someone, someone preached that the enemy of faith is sight. The enemy of faith is looking at the things that we can see. And then the challenge is in our mind whether we believe what we see or we believe what God says or what God sees. That is the hardest thing to, to, to trust in, right? Can you trust that your own eyes could be deceiving you? Or can you trust God's word? Can you trust in the promises that he has for us? And we're meant to walk that way, right? We're meant to live and, and, and make our decisions and apply that action of faith by that way, we can't trust what we see. I believe it is in Proverbs, right again, where he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Many times our eyes and what we see is all that we understand. But God has a different perspective than us. God is seated much higher than us. We kind of see in one dimension, right? We kind of see in one level. But God can see all the different things that are happening that we can't see. And so what we have to do is trust in him and not trust in our own sight. And so in this hall of faith, the first character that is mentioned is Abel. And I definitely, for the sake of time, don't have, don't have the time this morning to go through every person in this list. When I began to first study this week, I was originally going to teach on a man named Jephthah. Anybody know who Jephthah is? 
in the Bible. He's also listed among the heroes of faith. But then I felt the Lord tell me, you know what, Trey, just keep it simple. Start at the beginning of the chapter rather than towards the end. And so, Lord willing, if we have enough time, I want to focus on two particular characters in verses 4 and 5, and that is Abel and Enoch. And so Abel first. Let's read the story of Abel. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1 tells us that, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth, and why is your countenance fallen? Verse 7 is a very important verse in this story. It says, And if you do well, shall you not be accepted? God is asking Cain. And if thou doest not well, well, we know what? Sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain goes out and talks with his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hands. Now turning back to Hebrews 11 and 4, we'll read what it says about Abel again in the hall of faith. It says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. All right, so we have the first two recorded births in scripture. They're brothers. Cain is the older brother. Abel is the younger. The Bible says that in the process of time or in the course of time, these brothers brought an offering unto the Lord. The Lord looked with favor, with favor sorry, on Abel because of his offering, but not so with Cain. So the question on many people's minds is, was the Lord being picky in this exchange? Was he being unkind to Cain? Was Abel the favorite of God? Or should Cain had known what to bring as an offering? Why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's not accepted? And this story is very, very brief in Scripture. It's only 11 verses. And it really only includes the important parts of the story, but there are enough clues to tell us that, yes, Cain should have known better in this story. Firstly, we read that they bring their sacrifice in the process of time. Commentaries say that it's clear that there was a prescribed time indicated for these men or brothers 
to bring their offering unto the Lord. This phrase, which is translated in the process of time or in the course of time, in the Hebrew it's translated as at the end of days. This is suggesting that there was a prescribed period where Cain and Abel knew that they had to take something unto the Lord as an offering. They knew whether it was once a year, once a quarter, right, whether it was at the end of a particular season, they knew there was going to come a time in their life where they had to bring an offering unto the Lord. We don't know when, the Bible says, but for Cain and Abel, whether it was through teaching from their parents or from God himself, both of these men or boys, I don't know how old they are in this story, knew that this was the appointed time where they were supposed to bring an offering unto God. That's the first point we can understand. The second is that it's clear from this account that not only was there a prescribed time to bring an offering, there was also a prescribed place to bring an offering. They were to bring the offering not before anyone else. They were to bring it specifically before the Lord. A definite place where they were to appear in front of the presence of God. And I think many times as we read this story, we get the impression that they're just fumbling around in the dark. That they don't really know, right? They don't know the Lord very well, and so they don't understand what he required. But that's not the case at all. They were instructed, the Bible kind of gives detail in that they knew the time and they knew the place. And I'm hoping their parents were the one who were instructing them in this, if they were good parents. But we see in this passage that not only did they know where to go and how to do what they were supposed to do, but in the story, God even talks to Cain. And Cain isn't surprised. He's not startled. So many, many theologians believe they heard God speak before. This wasn't a new thing for them to hear. God, in this instance, wasn't trying to keep his truth hidden from them or his way of what to do in this offering exchange. He wasn't trying to hide what they were supposed to do. They had already knew beforehand. The same can be said for us today. Aren't you glad that the truth, the gospel, is available to us? It's not hidden from us. It's not a secret that God is trying to keep from us. In fact, when God commissions his disciples Right in, in, in the New Testament, he tells them to go to all the world. I don't want this thing hid from anybody. I want this gospel to be preached to every nation, to every tongue. Right? The, the, the point is, in this story, God wasn't trying to hide what was supposed to take place. So now when Cain's offering was not accepted, it's also worth noticing that the Lord was incredibly gracious to Cain. He didn't speak with thunder and lightning. He didn't, you know, put Cain down, just lightning flashed down from heaven because Cain brought a sacrifice that wasn't worthy. No, the Lord encourages Cain not to be downcast, not to have his countenance falling. And I'm summarizing here for the sake of time. But he's saying that you know the right thing to do. If you want it to be accepted, all you got to do is the right thing. And this is helpful because this is what it means, God is saying, to do right. The right thing is to always, always, always come to God in the way that he prescribes us to do. 
God is gracious in this moment, and he wants Cain to understand this. And he says there is still a way for Cain to come before him appropriately. But God begins to warn Cain, if you don't come to me the right way, then sin lieth at the door. We know that sin is, is the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us we have an enemy who's roaring like a lion, right, ready to strike. There is a way, the Lord tells Cain, to overcome what's going to come upon you if you don't listen. Come to me the right way is what God is saying. We read and know the remainder of the story, but what does Cain do? Having heard directly from God himself, he goes completely against what the Lord spoke and allows his anger to become rage and his rage murder, even the murder of his brother that he grows up with. And I want you to think about Cain for a moment. I think many of us, through the lens of faith and understanding, would have gladly liked to switch places with Cain. I would have loved to be in Cain's place. Cain didn't grow up watching TV that's full of murder and death. There was no peer pressure on Cain to do craziness like we have in this world. Cain wasn't a proponent of a crazy, toxic environment. There were no drugs in Cain's time. There was no alcohol. There was no abuse. He wasn't treated improperly by anyone. In fact, Cain got to hear God speak to him directly. And yet, even in this near-perfect environment, jealousy was what took place in Cain's heart. Jealousy became anger, which boiled over to rage that eventually he goes to kill his own brother. That doesn't tell you something about the true source of where, as human beings, our problems come from. Then we need to have a light bulb tone known. The problem is our heart. The problem is the heart of man. Jeremiah 17 and 9 tells us the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The Bible says that Abel and the faith of Abel is still speaking to us today. The question is, what is the faith of Abel trying to tell us? What can we learn and apply from his story? So I go back to the question earlier, why was Abel's sacrifice accepted and Cain's rejected? Cain and Abel were aware of what God required for an appropriate sacrifice. If we dig a little deeper, we could say that Abel, unlike Cain, he probably knew the own condition of his heart. And he knew that there was a need for there to be a substitute as an offering for the sin that would one day take place in his heart so that Abel had to be right with God. And so through faith in the revealed will of God, Abel offers up the firstborn of his flock. And what that is telling to us, what that is speaking to us, if we want to offer up something that's pleasing to God, thousands and thousands of years ago in this story, Cain was saying, or Abel, I'm sorry, was saying, that there's only one way to God, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's only one way to the Lord. Jesus would go on and say one way, right? I am the way, the truth, and the light. Through faith, Abel is saying that the only way for our heart to get dealt with, the only way for us to overcome sin is there is a need for a spotless lamb. There is a need for someone else to take our place at the altar. So what is Abel speaking? He speaks to us about 
The only right way to come to God, and the right way is always faith in a blood sacrifice, faith in a substitute who must die on our behalf. The right way is faith in Jesus Christ. And what Abel is still speaking today is there is only one way unto the Lord. We used to sing a Sunday school song. I think it was one, 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 one way to God, one, 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 one way to God. There's only one way. I know that's such a hard thing to think about. But if we're not careful and if we lean on our own understanding, right, sometimes we can think there's another way to God. The wrong way is the way of Cain. Cain rejected this approach that Abel had. The Bible tells us he was a worker of the ground, right? He worked hard out in the hot sun, sweat pouring off his face. He grew crops that he hoped, and again, that he would now present to the Lord. This was really the best of all his efforts. This was the work of his hands, which he thought that God would accept. Who cares about an offering of the firstborn land, right? I've worked hard, Cain was saying, and I know I'm good. Look at this crop that I've put together. Look at, look at everything that has happened. Look at the blessing that's been as a part of my work. I'll show God my works, and everything will be fine between me and God. What a mistake to make. There are a lot of mistakes that we can make in life and still be fine, but this is not one of those mistakes. We cannot trust in our own goodness. We cannot obtain righteousness through any effort of our own. If you try to come to Jesus through any other method, then like Cain, you will be denied. And a, lar and a large part of mankind believes that that's the right way. The Bible says in Jude 1 and 11, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. We must listen to the faith of Abel and listen to his instructions. Abel still speaks. We're several thousand years since he walked this earth, but he hasn't stopped speaking. There is a way of Abel and a way of Cain. Though born into the same failing with the same environment and upbringing, the two cannot be further apart, yet they stand for more than just their individual lives. They point to two different ways of approaching God, which we, or I should say, which would be repeated over and over throughout the history of man. And so as we talk about faith, and learn the lesson of faith this morning. Which way have you chosen? Abel is a testimony that he was righteous through his faith. If we want a similar testimony, then we must have faith in God and faith in Jesus alone. In Abel's faith and offering unto the Lord, the Bible says he obtained witness that he was righteous. If you want to obtain righteousness or be in right standing with the Lord, then the only way to God is through Jesus. He doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want the best that we can do. He wants us to obey the only way he commands us to in his scripture, and that is through Jesus. The second story, and I'm hurrying this morning, is the story of Enoch. And this story is even shorter than the story of Abel. It's only five verses in scripture. Genesis 5 tells us this. Verse 18, it says, And Jared lived 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. Verse 21 says, and Enoch lived 60 and five years, and he begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. 
And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Going back to Hebrews 11 now, Hebrews 11 and 5 says, By faith, this is the story of Enoch in the hall of faith. It says, By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So let's talk about Enoch real quick before we close. Of all the heroes listed in Hebrews 11, Enoch is a bit different than everyone else. Because by faith, Enoch was taken from this life. Now, normally when we hear that, we think about someone passing away, holding firm to their faith. But that's not the case for Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken, literally. He was still alive. One moment he had his feet on the ground. The next moment he was with the Lord in glory. And for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to summarize. But Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God. God liked him, so God took him. How many would love for God to be like that with us, right? The Bible tells us in Hebrews that he could not be found, which indicates people were looking. If you go through the genealogy of, of Enoch's family, believe it or not, Enoch's father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather were still alive when Enoch was taken. So you can imagine, like, family members, I'm looking, where's Enoch at? Where, where did Enoch go? Right? But God, God just took him. And so note that it says before he was taken, he was commended on or commended as one who pleased God. Or as the New American Standard Bible says, he obtained witness that he was pleasing to God. And just like what we saw about Abel earlier in Hebrews 11 and 4, who also obtained the testimony that he was righteous, we see here that those who are God's people should know that they're God's people. How many know if you're the Lord's or not? Right? Do you question? Enoch didn't have to question. God, God took him. Enoch knew, I'm, I'm with the Lord. Uh, my faith is, is strong. God is taking me out. But the truth is we shouldn't be in the dark on whether we belong to God or not. Abel knew this. Enoch knew this. But Hebrews 11.6 is really a continuation to uh, the previous verse in the story with Enoch. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Right? Enoch was one that pleased God, despite not living here on this earth as long as many others within his generation. Enoch lived in a wicked time for mankind. He lived in the generations just before the flood. Noah is the great-grandson of Enoch. Humanity was descending into darkness that had never before been seen during this time. His story should give us hope that even in a wicked world, there is still a way to please God. There is still a way to find favor and communion with the Lord, no matter the world that we live in. You may look at your own heart and think, how could God love me? I want to pull you all out of that line of thinking this morning and assure you God does love you. He went to Calvary for you. Even before you were born, God already knew who you would be. God went to Calvary for you. He loves you. You don't have to question the love of God. What we must do is pick ourselves up and put faith in God. If you're drifting away, renew your faith. Build up your faith in him. Because our faith in God, as I mentioned earlier, is so, so important. If you're wondering how, how important our faith and walk is with God, then understand you can't please God without faith. It says it's impossible to please God without faith. It's not just hard to please God. 
It's not unlikely that you can please God. It's not complicated that you can please God. It's a firm impossible. Without faith, you can't please God at all. Faith is not an option when it comes to God. It begins with God. We can't substitute anything else and think that it will do. Faith takes God into account and puts him in his rightful place in our life. It is through faith that's where we can begin to please God. So as I was studying this story, and I'm hurrying real quick so I can get through the point I want to get through real quick. But as I was studying this, I came across a commentary that said, Faith glorifies God exceedingly because it proves we have more confidence in his eyesight than our own eyesight. So here's a question for you. Do you trust your ability to see things clearly when some unexpected problem or uncertainty comes in your life? Do you trust in your own ability? Or has your ability let you down sometimes? The simple truth is we don't have the clearest vision. Trust me, I got four eyes for a reason. We don't have the clearest vision. The first step to victory is saying that though I don't see a way forward, because I can't see clearly at all, there is somebody who has better eyes than me. There is someone whose eyesight has never failed or diminished. And I'm trusting that he will guide me and I will rest in that. That's a childlike faith that brings a smile to the face of God. That's how we can please God. And so this is the type of faith that God rewards. And so going back to this story real quick, and I'm going to scroll down to the one point I want to get to. When we talk about Enoch walk with God, when you get to Genesis chapter 5, you read of a lot of names and all of it says about them is this person gave birth to this person and this person lived and then this person died. That's what it says. You go back to his grandfather, his great grandfather. That's what it is. A list of when they were born, when they lived or how long they lived and then they died. That repetition is repeated until Enoch shows up. Enoch was different. And the reason why it's written that way in Scripture is because the Holy Ghost wants us to see the difference. When God moved upon the writer, I believe it's Moses here in, in Genesis, God wanted him to make a note that the difference Enoch had. And so what is important when you go on a walk with someone? Stand with me as I close, as I, as I kind of ask this question. What is the most important thing when you go for a walk with somebody? And I'll admit, I don't take, I don't take a lot of walks. I don't, I don't take a lot of walks. I probably should walk a little bit more to lose some of this, right? If anything, I, I go on walks with my kids when they want to go to the park or they want to do this, or maybe me and my wife will take a walk with the kids. But it's fair to say that for a good walk, it normally helps if both parties are going in the same direction. That's a good place to start, right? We can't claim to be walking together if we're headed two different ways. Hello, somebody. Can you claim to be walking with God if your walk is taking him in a different direction than he's walking? The Bible says Enoch walked with God. Secondly, and I, un and I definitely understand this point from walking with my kids, if you're walking with someone, you can't be racing ahead of them. And you can't be lagging behind them. Right? The walk can be disruptive if that's how we're walking together. The pace can get off track if we're not in alignment with one another. If we're not in sync and in rhythm, then the walk is going to be difficult. And many times in our faith, the walk with God is difficult because probably we're not in step with him. We're not in alignment with him. We're lagging behind a little bit or we're impatient, so we're trying to get ahead of where God is leading us. 
My mom has always been a speed walker. When we were little, boy, she would be out in front. You got to catch up, Trey. Come on. You got to catch up. And there was a time when, when we were younger where she would always pull ahead. She tried to show off her impressive walking speed. I can catch her now. Right? But in a good walk, right, you're side by side with the person going in the same direction. You're not trying to race them. You're not falling behind with them. Most importantly, a good walk isn't just about getting somewhere, but it's more important about the fellowship you have on the way. Let me ask you, does that sound like your walk with God? As we look at Enoch's faith and his testimony that he walked with God, how is your walk with God? Are you in fellowship with him? Are you having communion with him? Are you enjoying the walk that you're on? How many know this is not a race we're in? In this, in this walk with God. We're not in a race. It's more like a journey. Many times we want to get ahead to the best parts. No, no, God is, his timing is perfect. We just got to stay in alignment with him. Do you do your own thing when you're fellowshipping with the Lord or are you by his side as you're walking this life? I want to challenge someone with the faith of Enoch and the faith of Abel as our, as our example. It's time for us to get in alignment with God time for us to put our faith in nothing else but God because he'll never fail us, right? We must have that substance. We must have that confidence in what his word says. And we must become convicted to the point where it, infl it influences every action that we make. And that's how we live by faith. Would you lift your hand? Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.